Well, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> For those who don't know me, I'm Ronald, one of the pastors here. Um, Keith has asked me to come and preach. This morning, we, we've, if you're new to the church, maybe you, you haven't been with us for the past uh, few weeks, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Behind the Scenes of Difficult Times. And um, right around the end of July, Pastor Keith began to sense from the Lord a need to spend some time um, teaching us and training us and looking at the word uh, to, to, to learn what it, what it is to, to walk through difficult seasons. This is before uh, the mandates got reimposed of us after Delta, and this is before Hurricane Ida. So very, very timely series that we walked into, and we've been exploring the book of Hebrews as a whole, but particularly chapters 10 through um, 12. Uh, we, we've looked at uh, the, some themes in the book of Hebrews, things like perseverance, uh, our call and our need, and the reality of perseverance in the Christian life. Uh, things like discipline, it, it's a featured word in the book of Hebrews, and, and things like God shaking the world, that there are moments in, in life, in our life, where God will stick his hand and start shaking things. And these are realities that the people of the book of Hebrews lived through, and the author of the book led them to how to, how to expect these things and respond well. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a tremendous passage that maybe you guys are familiar with, the famous Hall of Faith passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and a, a phrase that, that they jumped out at me as I was studying, praying, asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have for your people this morning? Uh, this idea of looking forward in faith. So let's read this passage together uh, and let's pray. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith... Being Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would do what we need, Lord. Would you open our eyes, soften our hearts, and illumine our minds to understand, receive your word, Lord, and be changed by its truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this passage features the word faith. You read it and the word faith comes up all the time. And it, it reminds us of our need for faith and, and what faith looks like in the Christian life. A few weeks ago, I sat with a dear sister in Christ, came into the office and, and just had a wonderful conversation. It is a joy, is it a delight 
to, to counsel people and to, and to impress the, the, the wisdom of God's word into people's lives. We, we, we get front row seats to seeing God's work in people's lives. And then we hear things that crystallize the experience of what it means to walk in faith and what it means to walk as a believer. This dear sister shared a, a quick sentence that I've been praying through, thinking through, because it crystallizes the experience of all of us. And I hope that, that, that this chapter serves to help you when you say what she told me a few weeks ago. She said, Ronald, I love God. I trust God. But I'm struggling. You ever felt that way? Has that been an experience in your life where you know you love God? You, you trust him. But you're struggling. That, that is the context in large of the book of Hebrews. And that is certainly the context of chapter 11. And this is what we're going to delve into this morning. Just understanding how to, how to aim that struggle. How to take faith and weaponize it against those struggles that we face. So we're going to deconstruct faith. We're going to take faith apart. We're going to, we're going to analyze it, understand it. What does it mean? What does it do? How do we employ it? What, what, what does this passage teach us about faith in our lives? So to do that, let's go back to the first three verses to help us answer the question, what is faith? Is faith a, a religious thing? You know, the word faith can be used in a number of different ways. It can be used to describe a belief system. There's different faiths uh, um, uh, that people believe. Uh, it, it could be used as a phrase of, you know, um, I, I don't have faith for that man. It's like, I, 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 don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't believe that man. Or, or it, uh, it can be used as, as this, this, you know, superstitious mojo. Man, if you had, if you had faith, man, you'd be healed. If, if you had this, you'd be healed. It, it could be used a number of ways, but it, it would help us this morning if we, if we focus our eyes on what, how faith is used in this passage, in its context, the definition it gives us about itself so that we would learn a number of things. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 again says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. I, I wrestled this week trying to simplify that language. I'm a simple guy. I need things to be simplified so I can understand them. And I failed. So uh, I found a couple of resources. A couple of definitions. This is not in your outline. But I found one that I found helpful. From Mark Dever in his book. Uh, uh, called the, the Message of the New Testament. He says faith is not the hope that grows to certainty. Faith is not the hope that grows to certainty. Faith is the reality or the certainty that inspires hope. So immediately when we come to the word faith, we, we bring in other things to the table. We, 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 we pollute or add to other concepts that we're familiar with, things like hope and things like trusting. And we, and we tint the meaning of the word faith by adding some of these words. And in the process, we actually uh, 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 um, uh, unclarify what this word actually means. So he says, faith is not the hope that grows to certainty. Faith is the reality or the certainty that inspires hope. So, so faith is not, the, 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 faith doesn't move you uh, to somewhere. Faith is what you're going towards. He says, it is not that we have a wish that we cherish and burnish it like bronze until it really shines. And then call that our hope and put our faith in it. Nor is faith is something we build like we build our muscles. In this passage, no, what the author is talking about here is perceiving and believing in the reality of something you cannot see. The faith we have which gives us hope then is hope in something real. So faith is not closing our eyes and wanting something really, 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 really bad and then coming to believe in that thing we wanted really, 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 really bad. Faith is not inventing something with our minds and just hoping it to be real. Faith is something also that we don't work up, that we don't build, that we don't construct. Faith is the assurance. Faith is looking ahead to what is real but unseen and believing it. There's a, there's a, there's a real objective anchoring dimension to faith. You're looking to something that is unseen but that it's real. It's there. And you believe that to be the case. 
The, the second definition that will help us kind of wade through this passage is the, the Bible uses faith in a, in a number of different ways. The Bible talks about saving faith. This moment where the Holy Spirit breathes in us life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you are saved through faith. So this work of God in our hearts that awakens us to God where we realize we are sinners and we need uh, uh, salvation for our sins and what Christ has done on the cross pays for my sins and I will now inherit eternal life by the work of Christ on the cross. That engagement with God of coming to trust him and what he's done for our eternal security, that's faith. But this is not the faith that's being spoken of in this passage. In this passage, something that I'm calling living faith is what's being talked about. And living faith is how we continue to respond in that relationship with God. And of the many lessons that this chapter can give us, this is a particularly important one. Our lives are lives of faith. Yes, there is a momentary uh, element to faith. There is a moment where, where saving faith came upon you and you exercised saving faith by the work of the Spirit in, in, in your heart and you came to know God. But, but faith doesn't close itself there and stop working in your life. Faith continues. Faith is the driving force that helps you see the promises of God more and more clearly as you begin to live in light of that relationship that you now have with God. And we will see that in this chapter. So here at the end of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit sees it wise to teach a group of believers who are suffering. Of all the places the author of the book of Hebrews could land it, He's flying this plane. He's preaching this sermon to them. He's going to kind of the critical element of, hey, guys, listen, I've got you for two more chapters. What do I bring up? He brings up faith. He brings up faith, the need for faith, the clarity of faith, the function of faith. And so we would be well served if we listen to what he has to teach us this morning. I wrote this in your outline. Living faith includes at least three universal principles. To properly understand how faith is being applied and described in this chapter, you're going to need three universal principles that this chapter speaks to us with. The first one is living faith includes a proper posture towards God. Living faith includes a willful response to God's leading. And living faith includes a joyful abandonment to the promises of God. Let's look at that first one together. A proper posture towards God. You see this in chapter 11 verse 4. Where the author says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So the, the, the posture of faith, this, this, faith looks a certain way in the lives of believers. It, it, it is characterized by leaning in, by walking with God, by desiring to please God. So sometimes the concept of faith is so abstract to us that we can't define it because we, we can't imagine. We can't describe what it looks like. But, but these two verses, these three verses help us. What is faith? What is, what is living faith, appropriate faith, life-building faith in the life of a believer look like? How have people done faith rightly and, and well? What, what model exists out there for us to operate in faith? And this is where, where, where we're introduced to these two guys, Abel and Enoch. And they're, they're characterized, Abel, by, by presenting something to God that was more acceptable. God commending him. The same thing with Enoch. He walked with God. There was a nearness to Enoch's life. And God commended Enoch. God was pleased it's interesting, both of these guys receive God's commendation because both of them aimed to please God. Both had an inclination towards God, a, a bent for him, a desire for God. The, the life of Abel and the life of Enoch, while different, different circumstances, different settings, they shared one similarity. They drew near to God 
in faith. This chapter is known by many titles. Sometimes this is called the Hall of Faith. And, and, and if you watch football or sports, you know, Hall of Faith is a ripoff of Hall of Fame. And, and, and typically, um, and, and that's a danger, by the way. That's not a good comparison. Because when you look at the Hall of Fame, guys who play sports and are in the Hall of Fame, um, um, you, 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 you take the, the, the posture of admiring what those guys did. But let's face it. I mean, Drew Brees is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, but we can admire him, celebrate him. But we all know in this room that we're not going to be like him. And no one expects us to be like Drew Brees when it comes to football. So the Hall of Fame is this thing that you admire from a distance. But the Hall of Faith is an example for us to pursue. This is why this chapter is in your Bible. This is why these number of different individuals are listed. Not so you guys would just applaud what they did. But so you would learn from what they did and seek to emulate their faith. This is what this chapter teaches us. To draw near to God. So what does faith look like? What does right faith look like? What should right faith look like in my life? Not from a distance, but, but near. What should I look like when moments of faith show up? You should look like Abel. Your life should look like Enoch. There should be a closeness, a drawing near dimension to your life. When you look at Enoch and when you look at Abel and when you look at you, you should see a parallel line of faith. They should be walking in the same direction, namely towards God. And this is a helpful diagnostic for us because all throughout this letter, Y'all know this. Students of, of the scripture know that Hebrews 11 presents us with a number of theological challenges. It is a dense and rich book. And all throughout this letter, the author of Hebrews includes warnings to the recipients of this letter. To, to the guys who would hear this letter, read to them and preach to them on, on a Sunday gathering. Warnings not to abandon God. And, and that abandoning of God is, is the result of people living through instances of suffering, instances of trials, instances of difficulty. That, that, that is a catalyst for, for things in their relationship towards God to, to begin to break down, to begin to, 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 to loosen. That then leads to questioning who God is, who Jesus is, and then that leads to a distancing from the people in the book of Hebrews, they, they, they questioned God. They questioned who he was and what he had done. They began to question his goodness and his worth. The sufficiency of who Christ was, not just for eternal life, but for this life. Okay, God, I get it. We're going to be saved, but right now it stinks. I don't think that's enough for this. That's kind of what they were saying. And so the author of the book of Hebrews all throughout this book warns them against that. But their posture was not like the posture of Abel and Enoch. Abel and Enoch leaned towards God. These guys leaned away from God. And in leaning away from God, they began to look elsewhere. This is a, a helpful diagnostic tool for us of how the, 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 the circumstances around us can, can, can move us from our focus to God. How we need to be near God to be able to see the promises of God. So a, a helpful an analogy for you would be, um, you know, camera lenses and the focus feature of a camera. You have a camera, whether it's on your phone, um, whether it's one of those really cool cameras with the thing that you twist in the front. And, and if you look through the, 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 the viewfinder and you start turning uh, that lens, you can see things over in the distance clear, right? That stuff comes closer to you, not in distance, but in sight. And, and, and but, but. It really doesn't matter how much zoom you, you, you add to that, to that viewfinder, how much zoom you add to your phone, if you're not near it. You could be taking a picture of something with 100% zoom and not know what's there because you're not near your phone. F faith and God are kind of like that. For you to be able to see into the future promises of God, you have to be near him. 
He's the viewfinder. He's what focuses the promises of God. They become clear when you're near God. When you lean away, it's now distorted. It's now unavailable for us to be able to appreciate. So some, some questions for you guys. You guys know I'm a counselor here, and, and I, I, when, when I preach, I try and bring in a corporate counseling lesson. So as, you, as, you, as, you're, as, as you're looking at what we've covered so far, I've, I've got some questions in this first point. Are you leaning in? Would you describe your faith today, the past week, the past month, as a faith that looks like it's leaning in? Are you more like Abel and Enoch, or are you more like the people of the book of Hebrews? Are you leaning in? Would you describe your faith as drawing near? Or are you comfortable with distance? Would you describe your faith, your moment right now as a moment characterized by drawing near to God? Or has that reality given way to a distance that you're comfortable with? Have you aimed to please God this week? You notice Abel's, Abel's life was one of giving offerings to God and wanting to please God. Have you aimed at pleasing God this week? Now, this is not buying God's favor. This is not getting, doing something good for God so he won't do something bad to you. That's not wanting to please God. That's wanting to manipulate him. But have you aimed to please God this week? Or have your prayers consisted primarily of requests? You, you'll, you'll learn a lot about your heart when you listen to yourself pray. The content of your prayers will illuminate your heart for you. If you've been praying regularly and your prayers have primarily consisted of asking God for things, it's not a bad thing, by the way. Scripture is filled with models of, of prayers for intercession and, and healing and, and forgiveness and help and need. But in those prayers, are you desiring to please God? And then finally, are you walking with God or running away from him? So this first point, are you leaning in? Now, what's interesting about this posture is this posture is meant to be noticed. Both Abel and Enoch were commended. What's a commendation? It's a public honoring. It's a public recognition of something that good that's happened. And people are brought forward and said, hey, you see what that guy did? That's good. You see what that guy did over there? That's good. It's this public praise, public honor, public presentation of a good pattern. These guys are used as examples for us. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter, as I said before, is precisely that. It's like saying, this is true of them and it should be true of us. Now, this is a, a, a unique element of faith. This is commendability of faith. Because it serves not just the individual. So th this is more than just getting patted on the back by God. Th there's, a, there's a function that's served when people in our midst walk faithfully in faith. And that is commended. Th th there's a function that serves in the lives of other people. It serves a function in the person who's acting in faith. But it serves a greater function in those surrounding him. I wrote, faith serves not just the individual, but it serves a critical need in a community of faith. And that is a need for perseverance. You see this earlier in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3, where the author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So verse 12 describes this, this, this uh, individual unbelieving heart. So you by yourself are predisposed to have an unbelieving heart that can lead you away from God. What's an antidote to that? What helps in that? Well, verse 13, but exhort one another every day. You need people of faith speaking faith into your heart. So that your unbelieving heart will not win the day in your life. 
You need perseverance, and perseverance is breathed, obviously, through the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit breathes it through other people in your life. This happens again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, where he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, notice the, 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 the plural pronouns here. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So how do we do that? Author of the book of Hebrews, how do we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? How do we stay in faith? How, how do we make sure that the promises of God, what we're looking forward to, does not waver, does not go away, is not destroyed, is not confused, is not abandoned? How do we keep ourselves from wavering from faith? Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the interplay there? Do you see the connection between your personal faith and the exhortation, the encouragement, the, the faith and action of other people around you? F faith seems to be contagious. We're in, you know, peak number, whatever it is, of COVID-19. And this Delta variant seems to be difficult in terms of how contagious it is. Well, f faith has a, a parallel dynamic to that. When you see acts of faith in your midst, when you see faith being worked in other people's lives, you're affected by it. It does something to you. This is why, by the way, you should come to church. This is one of the functions of the corporate gathering. Is, is you have something that a brother or sister over here needs. There's a story of faith in your life that that brother and sister needs to hear. Because their faith might be in shambles. Their faith might be on the verge of being destroyed. Their faith is weak and wavering. And they need something to be strengthened by. They need a, someone stirring up a, a, a work of love. They need an encouragement. They need a specific exhortation. Those things don't happen when you're by yourself. They don't. They happen in community. They happen in the people of God gathering, witnessing to each other the works of God in their midst. So, more questions, right? Point number two. Here's how I can counsel a whole room in one meeting. Have you been neglecting to meet with other believers? This is different than, do you come to church on Sundays? Those things are related and they're important, but they're not exactly the same. But if you neglected to meet with other believers, are you walking with people? Are you part of a small group? Do you come to Bible studies? Ladies, we're featuring two Bible studies. You're, you're, you're going to get a lot more than a Bible study when you get in the room with Miss Anna Chatelaine. You're going to get stories of faith. And, and you, you, you're going to get stories of faith from her and from the ladies around you. The same thing with the well. We need each other because by ourselves, we're not enough for ourselves. This is how God has designed us to live in community. Second question. When's the last time you stirred something up? Now, be careful, right? Um, when's the last time you stirred something up? The text says, you know, stirring... Uh, um, Stir up one another in love and good works. I'm not saying starting a fight or, or, or being controversial. That's not what I'm saying. This is not the, a, 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 a proposition for social media or an endorsement for stirring things up on social media. When's the last time you stirred a work of love in the life of another believer? When's, that, when's the last time you prayed and asked, Lord, what would you have for me to give someone? Are you aware of the needs in the body? Now, Ida came in and it did a whole lot of damage, but there were needs before Ida and there's going to be needs after we finish fixing our homes. Are you aware of those needs? Finally, let's look at this last section. That faith looks like, I'm sorry, this is point number two. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, point number two. Um, a willful response to God's leading. So faith looks like 
a proper posture towards God, but it also includes the, the, the dimension of a willful response to God's leading. We see this in verses 7 through 11 of this passage. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So, living faith looks like a proper posture you could tell you're, 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 you're functioning in faithful faith towards God if you're leaning towards him, if you're drawing towards him, if you're, if, you're, if you're wanting to desire him. But then that is met with some action. So how you respond when you draw near to God and what you find out about God wanting you to do, that's another litmus test to faith. That's how you, you, you also examine your faith. How willful is your response to God's leading? It's interesting that we're given three different people with three very different circumstances of life. Their moments are very different. The details of their lives are very different. Noah is asked to do something that's not happened yet. Hey man, build this ark because in some time, the whole world's going to flood. Okay. Abraham is called to go to a place he hasn't seen. And Sarah is called to do something she can't. Very different circumstances, very different timelines, very different details. But a diagnostic tool for us this morning to engage with is we get to test our willfulness in our response, our willingness to respond to God. We get to test it. We get to see how willing we are or how unwilling we are in how we respond to the unseen realm. This is the one similarity that these three guys have. The details of what they're asked to experience may be different, but they're asked to do something they can't see. They're asked to engage with something that can't be seen. They either can't see it because it hasn't happened, or can't see it because they can't see miles away, or they can't see it because it's beyond their ability to see Faith includes this engagement with the unseen realm. There's aspects of our life. There's moments of our life where God calls us to step into areas that we can't see. We can see him, but we can't see where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it, or that it will be done. This unseen realm And this, this in-between moment of life is, is important. Listen, the details of, of, of Noah before the flood begins. No, Noah probably would have, would have... I'm wondering if he would have built the ark a lot faster if, if, he, if God would have given him more details. I wonder that if, if God would have given him a vision of what the flood was going to look like. I'm wondering if it took him, you know, two years, it would take him, you know, two weeks or something. Details are helpful. Descriptions of the circumstances in that, in that in-between moment where we engage with God and there's a promise. And then that thing in between, details in that moment are helpful. But those are, that's not the most important thing. So here's, here's what I mean. Most of us live lives in this way. Where, where our life, by the way, is an entire moment of faith. But certain things come up in our life where, where we have an encounter with God or God calls us to do something. And we come to believe that he is with us. So that's this reality. And, and then God, through the Holy Spirit, affirms his calling, strengthens us, assures us by pointing to a promise that's over here. Okay, we get that and we get this. But he's called us to go from point A to point B. We can see point A, we can see point B, but he doesn't show us point, he doesn't show us the line between both points. That's the unseen realm. That's that in-between of life that wigs us out. It disorients us. And we fill in 
We, we, we fill in those moments by thinking that the more details we get about that in-between moment, the better it is for us. We step into those moments saying, if, if I knew the where, if I knew the why, if I knew the how, that is what I need to assure myself that I'm actually going to get to the promises of God. It is our natural inclination to want to look towards something other than God. Explanations, details, questions, but friends, this is folly. This is not the example these guys set for us. I put this in, in, in your outline. Our blindness to the details surrounding our living faith is, in God's merciful providence, a gift. God has intentionally blinded us to the countless details of our lives in order to help us focus our eyes on specific details about him. Namely, who he is and his promise. Part of a problem is we want to know, right? We want to know everything. We, we want to know if that check is going to come. We, we want to know if we're going to get fired from that job. We want to know if our application is going to make it through. We, we want to know if the insurance adjuster is going to give us a you know, good amount of money that we're hoping for. We want to know these things. But this is folly. This is foolish. We all recognize that filling our minds with details has the opposite effect that we do. Many of you live through Hurricane Katrina. All of us live through Hurricane Ida. If you had damage in your home, if you, had, if you had water coming down your walls, if you had growing mold, if you're like me, you walked into a house, at least in Katrina, not even knowing where to start. Right? It's like, okay, so the, 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 this place got flooded. Okay, do I take the studs out as well? They got a little bit of mold in them. How do I clean this? Who do I talk to? Who do I call? When do they get here? It's, it's just too much. It's overwhelming. The truth is, in most of the, of, the, of the moments of our lives, details don't help us because we can't handle them. But we don't need to because God in his mercy has simplified the process of faith. Did you know that? That God in his mercy has, has, has written a book called Faith for Dummies. It's a simple process. Hey, listen, I'm God. Do this and believe me. That's it. That's pretty simple, right? How many steps are there? Two. Believing me and do it. Okay, that's it. That's pretty simple. Now, y'all think I'm joking, but that's, that's, that's how faith should operate. We are on a need-to-know basis when it comes to the details of our lives. We need to know that God is who he is and that he is with us. That is what we need to know. Now, what does that look like? Like what's a good example of this, of someone coming to those terms in a moment of crisis? So Psalm 13 serves as a, as a glorious example of this. If you're unfamiliar with Psalm 13, this is a psalm that you should memorize. Six verses. You can memorize a verse a day, a verse a day starting tomorrow. And then when I quiz you on Sunday, all of y'all will know it. Real, real quick psalm to know. But this is a glorious lament. Where David, we don't know the circumstances of his life. We don't know where he writes this. But he's engaging with God in that in-between moment. So he is feeling what maybe some of you guys are feeling right now. And so he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This is what the unseen realm feels like, right? For all of us. Those in-between moments, this is what they feel like. They feel isolated. They feel dark. They feel discouraging. They feel threatening. They feel overbearing. They feel like they're too much for us. But look at what David does. He, he doesn't end the psalm there. There's a hinge. There's a flip. There's an instinct in him that's awakened. And he goes from his moment to faith. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see how he's looking forward? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm teaches us this axiom. Faith begins where questions end. Faith begins where questions end. You will begin to experience the power of faith in your heart when you stop asking God questions. I'm not suggesting that asking God questions is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Look at this psalm. There's a whole bunch of questions there. But what happened when he stopped asking questions? He started believing. I don't need the answer to all those questions, God. I I, I don't need to know if you're going to ignore me for another 10 years. I don't need to know that because I know this. That you are a God who loves me with a steadfast love. That's where faith is born. That's when it comes to life. So some, some questions for you guys on this second point. Do your prayers sound like the first part of Psalm 13? Do your prayers sound like the first part of Psalm 13? So th- this entire sermon is a diagnostic for your faith. I'm taking your faith temperature. How are you doing? Well, I don't know. Okay, well, do, you fa- do your prayers sound like the first four chapters of Psalm, four, four verses of Psalm 13? Are you leaving out verses 5 and 6? Finally, let's look at where this passage leads us to, a joyful abandonment to the promises of God. So what does right faith look like? What does is, what is faith for moments of time of difficulty look like? It looks like a joyful abandonment to the promises of God. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11. The author says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I wrote this in your outline. Faith looks to something true but invisible, something objective but immaterial, something real but unseen, something sure but delayed. Faith is fixation on and towards the promises of God. And that act of looking forward and moving forward towards the promises of God is the catalyst for our endurance. The joy in our discipline and the driving force of our very lives. This is where the author of the book of Hebrews has taken these recipients. There's a whole bunch of interesting details about this book. We don't know who wrote it. Did you know that? We don't know who wrote the, 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 the book of Hebrews. I've used the phrase, the author of the book of Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote it. And we don't know who it was written to. That's the letter to the Hebrews. What does that mean? Well, probably Christian, Jewish Christians in the first century. But we don't know who they were. Like, you know, the letter of the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Corinthians to Corinth. Thessalonians to Thessalonica. But this letter, we don't know the author. We don't know the the details of the recipients. But we know this, that the people this letter was written to, when they faced, when they were facing a difficult season again, they had experienced difficulty in their midst. They acted a certain way in that difficulty, and then difficulty showed up again. And on that second time, they're on the verge of giving up. You see this in Hebrews 10, verse 32. This is not in your outline, but it'll be on the screen. Hebrews 10 says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Stop right there. So they'd experienced... Suffering in, in the plundering of, of the, the, their, their property, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. They weren't liked in the public setting. They were treated poorly in the public setting. And what, what caused them to endure? Was it just compassion with one another? 
Not, not entirely. Keep reading. It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The recipients of this letter were able to endure difficulty by looking forward to the promises of God. And the promises of God are something better than these temporary material experiences we have today. The promises of God include eternity with him. Include a relationship with him. Includes experiences devoid of pain. Devoid of suffering. Devoid of sickness. That is what the author is pointing them to. And he's reminding them that while they got it right the first time, you guys got it right the first time. When suffering showed up at your front door, you interacted with it well. But it's happened again. Suffering is knocking on your door right now. And you're not dealing with it well. So what does the author of the book of Hebrews do? He reminds them of how they faithfully acted in the past. And he takes them through this hall of faith to show them your faith was like the faith of all these people. You did it once, you could do it again. And here's more uh, evidences, descriptions of what this looks like. He, he, he's, my car has this um, weird or cool feature called lane assist. Where if I'm driving down the road and um, I just kind of start veering out of my lane, my, my steering wheel, it won't lock, but it'll add resistance. It'll kind of help me stay in the lane so I don't get in the other lane and get, get in a wreck. I didn't know this when I got this car. And so the first time the, the steering wheel kind of, kind of jolted and freaked me out. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Right? It's got this, this, this lane assist. So remembering acts of faith are like a lane assist in a car. It helps you stay on course. Hey, guys, you could do this. You've done this before by the power of God in your midst. And this has been done before by faithful people in the past. So correct course, shift from where you're going, and don't forget the promises of God. Kurt, you can come back up here, man, with the team. I put this in your outline. A strategy to living the Christian life is this. The Christian life is lived today by looking forward to tomorrow's promise. The Christian life is lived today by looking forward to tomorrow's promise. Now, which promises? What exactly are we talking about? What exactly serves as an anchor in the moment that keeps us in the moment waiting for the not yet? Earlier in the book of Hebrews, we, we get a hint A flavor of this. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. He tells them therefore. While the promise of entering his rest. Still stands. He he uses the backdrop. Of the people of Israel's wondering. They wondered for 40 40 years. The the, the intense walking. The the, the, the intense being out in the wilderness. the, the, The constantly having to do things. The desire of the people of Israel was for rest. We're tired of wondering. We're tired of not having a home. We're tired of living where we're not supposed to live. The promised land is right there. We can't enter. We're tired. We need rest. That, that experience is a type. It, it serves as, as, as an allusion to something greater. And this is what these guys saw. You see this in verse 10 of Hebrews 11, where, where, where Abraham looks towards a city built by God. Abraham is promised something, but he recognizes what I'm promised is just a, 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 a taste, a, 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 a preamble. It's an appetizer to a greater reality in front. Verse 16 summarizes that all these Old Testament patriarchs were looking forward to a heavenly city. They were able to endure. They were able to have patience. They were able to withstand the shaking of this world because they understood that God was going to give them something greater than what they expected. Something not found in this world, but something that awaits us in the world to come. 
The author picks that up and says, look, faithful Israelites, you need to recognize that the promised land was part of the promise, but not the entirety of the promise. The promised land was meant to tell you, point you to a greater promised land. It's meant to represent a greater reality. Now, we don't live in the Old Testament. We're not the people of Israel. We're not wandering out in the wilderness. What does this have to do with us? Well, you may have heard Jesus use similar language in Matthew 11, where he said, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Rest from relational strife. Rest from disease. Rest from pain. Rest from abuse. Rest from financial insecurity. Rest from hurricanes. Rest from worldwide pandemics. Rest from sin and its effects. Rest from fear and anxiety. Rest from pain. Rest from chronic pain. Rest from cancer. Rest from death itself. Rest from just being tired. This world is terrible. That's the promise of God that we are meant to look forward to. A day when with God we experience none of those things. We experience rest. We experience provision, delight, joy, glory, fulfillment, contentment. That is the promise of God that we are meant to look towards in faith. That is what anchors our souls in difficult moments. Behind the scenes of difficult times needs believers to look forward in faith. Let's stand together and pray. Father, many of us describe our lives like my dear sister did a few weeks ago. We love you, we trust you, but we're struggling. Well, would you open our eyes to your promises? Would you help us see, Lord, what you have in store for us? Would you help, help us faithfully lean in and draw near to you? Will you help our faithful Lord respond willingly to what you would call us to do? Lord, and would we live with you in joyful abandonment and trusting our very lives to you? Knowing, Father, that there is a rich reward that awaits all of us. Would you anchor our faith there?